Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 5 today, Hebrews chapter 11, and we are walking through that great chapter of the Bible called the Hall of Faith or God's Hall of Faith, Faith's Hall of Fame, call it whatever you will. All of these people who are listed here have given us great examples of what it means to be a person of faith, and so we're uh, we're walking our way through this, looking at these examples, and each of them teach us a little something different about what it means to be a person of faith. And today we're looking at a, an interesting uh, person, beginning in verse 5, we're going to look at someone who just appears briefly in the Bible, but makes a deep impact, a man named Enoch. So let's read in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, and just chapter, or verse 5 and verse 6. It says, by faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is our passage for today. And, and as we start to, to examine this passage, you know, I was thinking this week of, about a way to, to get to the point right away. And I thought about a story I heard. I don't know if it's true. I, I looked it up uh, this week on the internet because, you know, if you can find it on the internet, it's got to be true. And uh, I didn't get any help discovering if it was actually true. But there is a story that, that circulates, and it's been circulating since World War II, that says that there was a way that, that the German secret police could identify American spies by going to different restaurants in Europe and cafes and, and places like that and just watching people eat. By watching them eat, they could identify an American in their midst. I think it's really interesting. I think you might find this interesting as well because I know this is true for me. What they would do is they would watch people eat and they would notice that if people uh, held their fork in their left hand and cut their meat with their right and just kept a knife in the right and a fork in the left and ate that way, that those people were surely Europeans. But if they found a person or watched a person and observed them take their fork in their left hand, their knife in their right hand, cut their meat, then set their knife down, switch their fork back to the right hand. Do you do this? This is what I do. Switch their fork back to the right hand, that, that by doing that, they were betraying themselves. They were identifying themselves as Americans because, for whatever reason, folks, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that's the way most of us eat our food. We cut and then we switch. And, and what, that, uh, what that story illustrates is the truth that, that who you are, who you are on the inside, will inevitably show up. On the outside, whatever's true about you internally, even if you're trying to hide it like those spies certainly would have been, even if you're trying to conceal who you are on the inside, eventually it's going to come out in your actions. And, and, and by, by watching the, the behavior of people, you'll eventually see what's true about them. I remember hearing a, a preacher one time say, you tell me all you want about what you believe in Jesus. I'll tell you what you believe in Jesus by watching you live. You know, that's true. And last week we, we began our journey through uh, this chapter, looking at the examples. And we looked at the example of Abel 
as a great example of somebody who carried faith in their heart. You know, faith begins in our hearts, right? It's an internal issue. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. We, we have faith in God that begins in our hearts. But, but Enoch takes it a step further and he helps us to understand that our faith isn't meant to remain internal. It's not just something that happens on the inside and is our own private thing. But eventually it ought to work itself out in the way that we walk in the way that we live. We're saved by faith, no doubt, but our faith will always lead us to good works. It'll always come out in the pattern of our life. Listen to this from James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. James says this, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Just, uh, I want to stop there for a second and just take a couple pieces of that statement that James said. Listen, listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, what good is it, brothers, if someone, listen to what he says, if someone says he has faith. You hear what he's saying there? He didn't say, what good is it if someone has faith? He says, what good is it if someone says he has faith? You can say whatever you want, right? Y'all with me? Like, it's easy to say anything, isn't it? I can say anything about who I am. It doesn't mean it's true. In fact, it's so easy that even today in our godless culture, 60% of adults still say they're Christians. Six out of ten. It's easy to say it, right? But but James goes on and, and he says, if you just say you have faith... Will that faith, that faith, what kind of faith? Just the words. Will that kind of faith, just saying it, is that enough to save you? And then he goes on, he gives us this illustration about seeing evidence in our lives of our our faith. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, again, that same theme, if you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You get what he's saying? If you say something, but you don't do something, what you say doesn't mean anything. If you say to someone who's suffering, oh, go and and be warmed and and be filled and, and be taken care of, but you do nothing to help that person, then what you say is empty. And he says, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can say whatever you want, but unless you're walking with the Lord, unless you're walking in your faith, it doesn't mean anything. You know, what James is basically saying here is, is that, that talking the talk is good, but you also have to walk the walk. You can't just say it. You've got to walk it. Faith begins in our heart, but it doesn't end there, right? Y- y'all with me so far? I know we got big Mother's Day lunches to go to, and you could smell the food that you left in the crock pot, but just bear with me. Look. Faith begins in the heart. It doesn't stay there. It has to come out in our walk, in the way that we live. The outward evidence in our life needs to speak to the inward reality. We need outward evidence. We need to see it. Enoch walked with God. Are you walking with God? That's the question today. 
Are you walking with God? And is there any evidence in your life that you're walking with God? Now, what I want to do for the the remainder of our time is just tell you some things about Enoch that I I think will help us to, to understand what it takes to walk with God. See, I can't answer the question, are you walking with God? That's a question for you. Uh, you, you've got to determine uh, if you're really going to walk with God. But, but Enoch does teach us some things about what it takes to walk with God. And I think this is why his example is included here. Enoch's example. Here, here's the first thing I want you to, to see in Enoch's example is that, that Enoch's walk with God certainly had a beginning. This is important. There was a time where Enoch's faith started. I'll get to why that's important for us in a moment, but, but if you turn to Genesis chapter 5, and we'll, we'll go, and you can keep your finger in Hebrews, but turn to Genesis chapter 5, we'll see Enoch and his appearance in that chapter of the Bible, this chapter of the Bible that's been called the death chapter. There's a reason why this is called the death chapter. It's because it's a, it's a, a list of descendants that, that follow uh, out from Adam that follow the line of Seth. And, and after every one of these, uh, these people is mentioned, it tells how long they lived. And then each one of them, uh, the statement ends with these words, and he died. It's the death chapter. You live, you pay taxes, you die, Right? Everybody except for Enoch. Enoch, down in verse 21, it says that when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, verse 21, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then this statement, Enoch walked with God And he was not, for God took him. Enoch's the only one in that list who didn't die. In fact, Enoch is the only one of two people in the Bible who who was born, who lived, and then was supernaturally taken up into heaven out of this life. He's a spectacular uh, person in the Bible. He's a really special person in the Bible. He's most well known for being a man who didn't die. That, That is pretty Pretty amazing. He, his time on, on earth supernaturally ended when God took him up. Now that's the end of his life on this earth, so to speak. But there had to also be a beginning of his walk with God. We know how his walk ended, but there had to also be uh, a beginning. And unfortunately, we're not told any details of that, so we have to just sort of use our imagination. I think that's okay to do sometimes. I think it's okay just to think about what it must have been like. And as I was thinking about that this week, where did his faith come from? You know what occurred to me? I had never really thought about this before. Enoch lived at the same time that Adam lived. Think about this. This is, this is really interesting to think about. Their lives overlapped by about 300 years. Most of Enoch's life, Adam was still alive. And you know what I like to think in my own uh, vivid imagination? I like to think that, that, that Enoch sometime would run into to Adam. I don't know if this is true, but just, just go with it. And he'd run into Adam, and when he did, he'd take the opportunity, like, like one of these days I'd like to do when I get to heaven, and say, Adam, what was it like to live in the garden? What was it like 
when you first laid eyes on all that God had created, what was that like? Adam, what was it like to live a life without sin? None of us can understand. What was that like? And imagine all the questions he could have asked Adam about what it was like to, to be there in the garden and what happened in the garden. And what was it like when, when Satan arrived? And what was it like? What did, the, what did the fruit taste like, Adam? All the questions he could have asked him. I like to imagine Adam's asking his questions, but then all at once, Enoch looks at Adam and he notices that Adam's eyes are welling up with tears. And he looks at Enoch and he says, do you know what the best thing about life in the garden was? And as tears began to well up and drip out of the corners of his eyes, Adam said, when I was in the garden, in the evening, the Lord himself would walk with me. And we'd walk through the garden. You remember that song? He walks with me, he talks with me, tells me I'm his own. He walked with God. And I like to imagine that, that Enoch was so captivated by that that he thought, you know what, I'm going to walk with God too. At some point, listen, at some point, Enoch had to decide to walk with God. And at some point, each and every person has to make a decision. Either we will walk with God or we'll walk our own way. And every person in this room today needs to have come to a settled decision. Are you going to walk with God? You have two choices. No more. You have to decide. You're either going to walk with Him or you're going to walk your own way. Enoch made a decision at some point to walk with God. And then we can see in, in Enoch's life, and, and I, I think that this is implicit uh, to the point that it almost becomes explicit in the text, that, that Enoch not only began his walk, made a decision to walk with God, but secondly, Enoch, after he made that decision, he walked with conviction. Write that down. Walk with conviction. You and I should walk with conviction. We should be steadfast. You know, you know what's interesting about Enoch is that he lived in an environment much like ours. When it comes to the, 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 the uh, world that he was living in, the, the situation around him, he, it wasn't so much different than the world that we live in. In the respect that, that uh, sin had already entered the world and we know that sin was ravaging the world and, and men were carried off by their own desires and doing whatever they want. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, just after Enoch's death and, and in that same sort of time period, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. He, Enoch lived in a, in a setting that was godless. Think about that. He lived in a setting where men were doing whatever they wanted to do living however they wanted to live. Even that far back, even that far back and that early on, men had already rejected God and were just doing whatever they wanted to do. They had become their own gods. It's just like the world we live in, isn't it? People do whatever they want to do. They're their own 
gods. They're a law unto themselves. Enoch lived in that kind of, of world. Day by day, Enoch would look and there would be uh, people in, in his world who were going their own way. Day by day, he'd look and there'd be people who were worshiping idols over here. And, and day by day, he'd look and there'd be people practicing all sorts of sexual immorality over here. And day by day, he'd look and people were pursuing their own passions, doing their own thing. Enoch could have given in. Understand that he was living, you know, we think that we live in a, in a, in a world and in a time where there's pressure, where there's pressure to, to conform to the ways of the world and to walk away from God. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. Enoch felt the same pressure. He knew the same temptations, but instead he chose not to compromise and to walk with God with conviction day in and day out, no matter what was going on around him. I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, this has never been more true than it is right now. In the 20 years I've been in ministry, I can say that this is more true now than it's ever been. If you're going to walk with God, it's going to require a settled conviction. The whole world is pressing in on you saying, just compromise. Just get with the times. You know, I thought about, uh, as I was studying this week, it came to my mind that, that we are just two weeks away now from our cultural celebration of sexual perversion, where we devote an entire month now. We call it Pride Month. I don't think that, uh, I, I don't know if, if anyone's ever connected the dots there on the other end of this thing, but you know that the sin that, that led to the fall of Satan was what? Was his pride. The pride, pride comes before a fall, and, and we're going to celebrate this, this Pride Month, which is essentially a celebration of all things perverted about sex. That's what it is. And as I was thinking about that, I also thought about a, a, a song that came to my mind. I don't know the melody of the song, but I remember the song being released. A song by the great cultural commentator, Taylor Swift, aimed at anyone who would not accept and celebrate the LGBTQ culture. She sang a song called You Need to Calm Down. You ever heard that song? Just listen to some of the words of the song. It says, you're somebody that we don't know, but you're coming at my friends like a missile. Why are you mad when you could be glad? G-L-A-A-D, for those of you who know what that is. Sunshine on the streets at a parade, but you would rather be in the dark ages. Making that sign must have taken all night. You just need to take several seats and then try to restore the peace and control your urges to scream about all the people you hate because shade never made anyone less gay, so you need to calm down. You're being too loud, and I'm just saying you need to stop. Her lyrics really do sum up the attitude of our culture, don't they? You stand on God's principles. You live with conviction about uh, the way that God has, has created us and intends for us to live, you live with conviction and the, the culture around you will say, you need to calm down. You need to get with the times. You need to stop being so hateful. Would you please just compromise? But we can't compromise, brothers and sisters. 
Listen to what I'm going to say to you right now. This is so important. You can't walk with God and love the things of the world. I mean, that's, the, that's not my words either. That's God's word. Do not love the world or the things of this world. We're not to be in love with the ways of this world. We're supposed to be in love with God and walk with conviction. Remember the definition of living faith I gave you over the last couple of weeks. Just listen to it again. Living faith. Listen to it again. This is what it takes. This is what it takes for us. Living faith is trusting what God says and acting on it regardless of circumstances or consequences. You hear that? Trust what God says. Live it out regardless of your circumstances or the consequences. And there will be consequences. There will be relational consequences if you choose to live with conviction. Just understand that. I could speak to that firsthand. I I can remember uh, when word got out that Brian's going into ministry. He's going to be a pastor. Can you believe that? That guy, we knew that guy. And over the years, I tell you that, that the, the relationships that I had growing up and in my early adult years, they have all faded away as people have, have just turned the other way. There are consequences relationally. There, there are consequences in the, in the way that people see you. There are consequences in that. I believe the consequences will continue to become worse and worse for those of us who choose to follow Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says about this, by the way? That all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Don't you think you're special? If you decide to follow Jesus, there will be consequences for you doing it. But I'd rather live with the conviction that I'm following God and I'm walking with God than to be a coward and, and be in this life and follow the ways of the world. Just get in with the mob and just calm down and compromise. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk with conviction. Enoch walked with conviction. There was a beginning. He made a decision. He, he followed through. He walked with conviction. And lastly, the thing we learn about what it takes to walk with God is that Enoch walked with boldness. He walked with boldness. There's an interesting uh, passage in the New Testament. I won't ask you to turn there. But in the book of Jude, we have a, a statement in the book of Jude that where we, Jude gives us the words, the very words that Enoch spoke. It's interesting that, that by, by the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit, Jude tells us some of the words that Enoch spoke. And in in Jude, he's describing the way that the world and the way that that men have rejected God and turned away from God. And and he's encouraging us to contend for the faith. And in verse 14, he turns our attention to the only recorded words of Enoch. And remember, he's living in a time running rampant with sin. In fact, I want you to think about it this way. Enoch was the one who, who leads us right up to Noah. It had gotten that bad. And listen to what Enoch says in Jude, verse 14. He says, It was about these, these men, these men who reject God, who, who, who pursue their own passions. He says, It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, 
Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch spoke up and spoke out about the godlessness around him. He was unafraid. He warned that God's judgment was coming. He he was willing to speak up. You know know what I've noticed amongst Christians? I've noticed a disturbing trend. I really mean this. I've noticed a disturbing trend, particularly, I'll let y'all off the hook, particularly among people in ministry. And what I've noticed is that there's this seeming desire to soften the message. The further our culture moves away from God, it seems like we're, we're pursuing them and getting further away from, from being bold about what God says. We're just trying to soften our words and, and people veil it under good intentions. Well, we need to be able to have a conversation. We need to be, be able to have an open door. Listen, I'm all for being loving. I, those of you who know me well know that uh, this is about as animated as I get. I'm a pretty relaxed guy in real life. I can get along with just about anybody. And I'm not saying we ought to be mean and unloving, but what I'm saying is we shouldn't soften our words. We don't need to make ourselves palatable to the culture around us. We need to be bold. We need to be bold in the things of God. We, we either, uh, either seem to be softening our words or just withdrawing altogether. Instead, how about we speak up and be bold? Speak the truth in love. Don't be afraid of the truth. In fact, you know why I think uh, most Christians, and again, let me let you all off the hook, most pastors and church leaders and people in ministry, you know why I think they're doing this? I think they're afraid. I think they're afraid of people. They're afraid of the consequences. You can't be salt and light if you're going to be a coward. You hear me? I don't know how to say it any more bluntly than that. And it's not just for church leaders, it's for all of us. We are called to be salt and light in the world. And we can't be salt and light if we're going to be cowards. We've got to be willing to be bold about our faith. Bold about what's true. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, when I was a, a kid, before I moved to the peace and serenity of Western Howard County, I lived in southwest Baltimore, and then after that, uh, down the road in, in Beltsville. And uh, we used to run around the neighborhoods there in Baltimore and Beltsville. And, and at the time, maybe it was just the age, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, in those days, we were all feral, you know, right? Y'all grew up that way, didn't you? Like, my parents didn't know where I was or what I was doing ever. I got up in the morning. I tell my kids about those, uh, that, that fantasy world we used to live in where you would get up in the summertime. Parents may have already been gone. You'd get up, feed yourself, and just leave. And, uh, and, and you'd come back when it got dark, maybe. And nobody had a cell phone tracking where you were. 
Nobody had an air tag in your backpack. You know, nobody was watching where you were. You just went and did your thing. And, and the other day I was talking to one of my kids about this and, and, and she said, what did you eat? I said, oh, we just, whatever we could, you know, you might drop into somebody's house and eat the food there, you know, or go down to 7-Eleven or whatever. But, but we just wandered around. And when we were wandering around in, in my life, and perhaps it was just unique to my situation, but we were always fighting. Always. And we couldn't go a day without getting in a fight. Maybe that's just how boys are. I don't know. We were always fighting. And I don't like to fight. I do not like to physically fight. I never have enjoyed being punched in the face. <laughs> like some, of, some people are weird. They like to fight and they enjoy getting punched in the face. I, I don't want to do that. And I never liked to do it. But my brother did. He's one of those strange people who just love to fight. He'd get knocked out and, and then be happy about it after it was over. Like strange person. But we were two years apart. We stayed together everywhere we went. We went together. And there was always some kind of fight going on. But I, thankfully, had my older brother. And my older brother was always my defender. Always. Fact is, I think even as a 10-year-old, he would have died for me. He would defend me no matter what. Jump in the mix, do whatever he had to do to, to defend me. And after a while, I began to understand that I had a defender. And so I began to walk around with my chest puffed out, you know. Because I knew at the first sign of trouble, my defender would arrive. And I didn't have to be afraid. Brothers and sisters, we have a defender. He walks with us. He is with us. Jesus has promised to be with you to the end of the age. If Jesus... We're physically with you today. Would you be afraid of anything or anybody? Well, brothers and sisters, you might not be able to see him or hear his voice right now, but let me tell you something. He's with us. He's with us wherever we go, whatever we do. He's with us. We don't have to be afraid. So we can walk in boldness. We can walk with conviction. We can walk with God. Are you walking with God? That's the question today. Have you made a decision, a definite decision? Have you decided that you're going to walk with God? You're going to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord of your life. Are you going to do that? Are you willing to stay the course? Walk with conviction when the world around you is pressing, pressuring you to, to compromise. And will you walk with boldness, knowing that Jesus is present with you wherever you go, whatever you do?